Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Ellis McHugh, CEO of Territory Foods, a venture-backed fresh food platform that brings nutritionist-designed, healthy chef-crafted meals directly to consumers' doors. By partnering with a network of local chefs and health-forward restaurants across the country, Territory Foods cooks up responsibly sourced, nutrient-rich meals featuring fresh, non-inflammatory ingredients that can be tailored to a wide variety of dietary preferences, from paleo to keto, Whole30, vegan, plant-based, low-carb, and more. Operating a proprietary tech-enabled business model, Territory understands the dietary and culinary preferences of its consumers and cohorts at scale to guide menu development with chefs and inform food trends. This woman-led, diversity-driven company serves over 20 major U.S. markets and has plans to expand nationwide by the end of this year. Ellis is a passionate executive and inspiring leader with a strong strategic, product and growth skill set, and a background in finance, supply chain, and technology, and over 10 years of experience developing end-to-end growth strategies. She is dedicated to building best-in-class leadership structures, performance measures, and organizations to drive disruptive growth. And we could not be more excited to have a conversation with her. So, Ellis, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I'm really excited. Yes. Well, you have had a diverse background. You have had a lot of experience kicking ass out there in the world. What led you to saying yes to this opportunity uh, with this company? Yeah, I mean, I have a really diverse background. As you said, I started my career in consulting and it's a great place to start a career, always in the technology world. And I started from an early stage of my career thinking about the complexities of business and building a hypothesis around complexity having to drive consumer value. And basically Mm -hmm. saying, if you have complexity in your operation that makes you do anything like non-standard. And my consulting, I did a lot of Oracle ERP implementation. So that's just like learning how the standards work. Um, anything that's non-standard in your organization to drive consumer value. Otherwise, you're just wasting time and money because it's inefficient, right? So I started from an early time building that hypothesis. And then um, the most amazing thing about consulting is you get an incredible opportunity to lead from a very young part of your career. So I knew early on I was passionate about people and not just about leading a team, but developing a team, building career paths for people, helping them find their true passion. And then I've always loved the learning and development side of the house as well. And it's funny in consulting, those are completely separate branches. It's like you either do learning and development or you do project work. But for me, I was like, we should always be learning. We should always be building something much bigger. Um, And so start on that foundation. I went from consulting to Gap Inc, where I ran 44 international markets, which was super exciting from a supply chain perspective, Um, working with the international teams and just this crazy part of the business that was hyper fragmented and hyper interesting and hyper complex, as you can probably imagine, with a lot of different stakeholders, both in the business and outside of the business. And I loved the chaos. And I loved the pace and I loved how many different people there were just with different preferences. I loved working in an international environment um, and seeing all the diversity that would yield. And so I kind of said, all right, I love this complexity. I have this thesis on complexity. I love a high velocity environment. Um, I went from Gap Inc. to ZX Ventures, which is the venture uh, capital and innovation org of AB InBev, largest CPG company in the world, and a, a center for disruptive growth. And basically looking at the beer industry and saying, how can we disrupt the next trends that are coming and how do we own those from the beginning? And I was like, this is so interesting. A whole org that's thinking about disrupting their category and my own uh, kind of division to run and businesses to build um, and build it from zero to one. And I had never built from zero to one before. So I got a couple of years of building from zero to one, had a lot of success, got to create my teams, build them and build really sustainable, great businesses all around the world of beer. Um, And then I found territory and it was at a point in my career where I was saying, okay, you know, what am I trying to prove? What am I trying to learn next? And Mm. I started in big consulting. I could have had an amazing career in consulting and I would be probably up for partner this year, happy as a clam, maybe. And I always had this like 
this thing in my guts. That's like this antsy energy to do something bigger and like to be very entrepreneurial and to own more, own more, own more. And so it's amazing to me because at the point when I was about to leave ZX Ventures, AB and Dev, I was kind of like, okay, like what's next? What am I trying to prove in this world? I built it from, from zero to, you know, almost 50, which is so exciting. I've worked at big companies. I've worked at small companies. I've run multinational businesses. Like what's the thing that I am reaching for next? And I've always had a passion for health and wellness. Um, I lost my father to a stage four glioblastoma when I was 21 years old, it's brain cancer. Mm. Um, very scary as a 21 year old where you're at this moment of, you know, what am I gonna be? And at that time I was, um, I was an East Asian studies major in college at Johns Hopkins University. Um, and the reason I was an East Asian studies major is because I love like the world of international food, international business and things like that. And Johns Hopkins is an amazing program. Um, but I was at this moment in my life when I was in college, you know, what do I want to do and who do I want to be? And I started to think really critically about my health and how could I get a different outcome than my family? Because my father passed away from cancer. I, we have a lot of cancer in my family and cancer as, uh, as an illness has just risen dramatically in the neck in the last like 15, 20, 30 years. Right. And so I started to think really critically about my health and wellness, um, but very much from a consumer standpoint. I found uh, Dr. Mark Hyman on like PBS at four o'clock in the morning. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, I've stunned. watched his stuff too. He's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. And very, very polarizing in the world of health and wellness, I will say, because he is a little bit on the extreme side. But for me, when I was 21, having just lost my father, he was this amazing voice of reason that said, hey, you can change your life. And this is something that you can own. And this is something that you can control through food. You don't have to take drugs. You don't have to, you know, make these dramatic like lifestyle changes that feel unsustainable to you. Like right. I'm not somebody who really feels they could take like a drug every single day and like be wed to that, but I'm somebody who can make a change in my diet. I can give up gluten. I can give up sugar. I can give up dairy. I can figure out the thing that causes inflammation in my body and I can control my outcomes that way. So kind of lasering my personal path through my career as well. By the time I was leaving AB InBev, man, I had been on the road for two years drinking beer every single night. <laughs> and you want to talk about like the opposite of health and wellness. Um, like you're my run job down, you're tired, <laughs> terrible diet, probably. Terrible diet. I mean, like I spent a lot of time working in Latin America, in Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, Mexico, amazing cultures, amazing beer cultures, but then also just eating palja queso, which is like this really delicious Brazilian like puff that has cheese in it. Just mm. like the worst, the worst, best food, best, worst food. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so when I was looking for that next career step, I kind of took a, an account of who I was. And I had been experimenting with keto really early in like the 2015 time frame when it became less of a epilepsy diet and more of a commercial diet. And all my friends thought I was nuts. They're all like, what are you, you're putting butter in your coffee, but Dave Asprey <laughs> told me to. So I definitely did it. That's Mark right. Hyman seemed on board. It's called uh, bullet coffee. All right. Exactly. And I would go yeah. to the Whole Foods in Chelsea in New York city. And I would stand in line for bulletproof coffee. And the baristas would be like, what is this that you're ordering? And I would be like, can I get the extra oil in it, please? Um, and, and so it was like this funny time in my personal health where I like knew what I need to do. But at the same time, my career was driving me towards this really bad moment in health. And then I had amassed all these business skills and I said, I want to find a company in the world of health and wellness that needs my help. Mm. I wanted to find a company that had an awesome founding mission. I think to be a founder is a really special thing in this world because you have to have that grit of like sitting in like the two guys in the garage is the stereotype, but like, it's very lonely to found a company and it's very hard. And I have a ton of respect for that. And I said, you know, for my skills, I want to find that founder who's tired who's built something amazing and mm. needs my help to take it to the next level. And um, I was cruising LinkedIn at two o'clock in the morning in Australia on a like four week business trip away from my husband and my home. And I found territory and they were looking for someone in finance to help them kind of figure out a new world of direct consumer that they had just entered. Um, Cause the traditional business model of the business was that it was um, distribution through a network of refrigerators through gyms and very, very close and tight knit to the, uh, the CrossFit community is how the, the company was founded. And Got they it. had entered the world of digital advertising and talking to the consumer in a direct to consumer way for the first time, just in the late 2017 timeframe. And as you know, probably from talking to uh, many, many people on this podcast, but then from running your own business, the world of digital acquisition, digital advertising, and digital marketing is really different. Yeah. And so they were looking for somebody to help. And it was amazing because I met Patrick, the founder, 
Uh, we got along really well right off the bat. We had all the same kind of idealistic like ideas about health and wellness and how you could change the world and change the economy and change public health through better eating. And, and he had built it to this incredible business that was at this inflection point of what was it going to be next? And, and I said, yeah, like I'm, I'm super jazzed. Let's do this thing. Um, and that's why I came to territory because when I came, when I first saw like the PNL, cause I came in from finance, you know, I saw the PNL. I was like, this is a really interesting business. And then I met the team and I was like, this is an incredible business. And then I talked to customers and I was like, this is a business that could change the entire way we eat. And that's what gets me going. And that's why I came. That's why I stay. That's why I get up every morning is that we have this massive opportunity ahead of us and we're uniquely positioned. I'm sure everyone thinks that about their business, but we really are yeah. <laughs> uniquely yeah, positioned You're with, selling this, me. with this massive <laughs> mission. So that's how I came on. And it's not the most linear story, but it's one that I'm really proud of. Life isn't linear. So that's right. You got to, you got to find the, the, the data points that that show the, the trajectory, right? Like the overall theme. That's and that's what I'm curious right. about to start with is you found clarity in something that a lot of people struggle to find clarity in, which is what is my why? What is mm -hmm. even my, my, my matrix for making a decision if I'd say yes to this or no to this? And, and you got some clarity on, I think I'm really passionate about health and wellness, you know, yeah. and I, but I see a convergence with my skill set that maybe ooh, that could be a combination. How did that emerge for you? Like I know now looking back, it's so clear, but was yeah. there ever a time it was unclear what I want to do and what's next after this? And Oh, it's been unclear the whole time. Let's be yeah. real. I mean, I think to say that I've had it all figured out would be just a bold-faced lie. And I think that some people do go into life knowing exactly what they, what they want to do and what their passion is, especially like coming up with so many people who are now doctors. I think like being a yeah. doctor is one of those things that you start and you want to be that. I think teachers are really similar as well, mm -hmm. where like people know they want to teach from an early stage and they sacrifice a lot in their life to be teachers. Um, but I think in business, especially with the way that business has just changed over the last like 15, 20 years, it's less linear. And I think for me, the, the clarity moment was not necessarily that I had like this light bulb of like, oh, I should go for health and wellness because it's always been a passion and I'm like a personal biohacker. And imagine if I could do that for my job um, or lead a company that is doing that. It was really about the moment to not be afraid of the risk. Because I think as uh, as a person who's transitioned from, you know, corporate business to entrepreneurship, there's this moment of fear that sure. you're like, is this going to be the right move? And the answer is there's no right move. And the answer is you should follow your nose and your heart and your gut. Cause your gut tells you many, many things. If you feed it well, it tells you yeah. all, all the really good things, <laughs> um, but it tells you where you should go. And I think that was the big inflection point for me is that for the beginning part of my career, you know, when I left consulting, I was so nervous because I had this career track that I knew I was going to be happy and like happy enough and wealthy enough. And like all the things, you know, that I would have, but something inside me in that gut was like, you're always going to be hungry for something they're not going to be able to reach. Mm. And it's going after that hunger and kind of iterating and iterating. And when I went to Gap, I was like, maybe this will be the place I spend 20 years of my life. And I will say after, you know, a year and a half, it's a place I could have spent 20 years of my life, but I knew I wasn't going to be fully satisfied. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to scratch that itch. Um, and so I think you have to be brave and bold to make the choices to say, even though I can be well-employed, well-paid and have a good life in the track that I'm on, I'm going to take a risk and I'm not going to be afraid. And yeah. it might not work out and that's okay too. And that it's that forgiveness that I think is the hardest thing to, uh, to really overcome. Yeah. Oh, so well said. And I think, I think in my own journey, I look back and I say, before I knew where I was going, I first had to have the courage to recognize where I couldn't stay. Mm -hmm. That like Beautifully said. That's yeah. the first part of the clarity is like, can I be, can I be courage, courageous enough to say, I know there's a million reasons to stay because this is a good, it's easy to leave a bad place. That's right. It's hard to leave a good place, right? Oh, it's a hundred percent. That's so 100%. it's like I like the people. I could see myself being successful here, yeah. but do I have the courage to recognize there's some kind of voice in me that's saying you can't stay? That's right? exactly right. It's so funny. I have a mentor also from um, from consulting from Deloitte, and he, you know, I was like vexing early in my career because I was always you know top five percent of the company like busting through utilization goals, working like every like day, night, weekend. And everyone's like, 
you can ramp down. And I was like, no, I don't want to ramp down. I want to crush it. Like <laughs> it's my personality. Yeah. Um, and I had all these mentors that were like, I'm very worried you're going to burn out. And I'm like, why would I burn out? Like, I feel like I'm working out. I feel like I'm in mile six of a 10 mile run. Like I've hit my stride. I'm going like, I'm good. I've got my podcast on. I'm like moving. Um, and I had this mentor who said to me, the thing about consulting is, and I think this is true of all like corporate jobs that um, it's like a pie eating contest. And that you eat pie and you're eating faster than all the people around you because you're trying to win the contest and you eat and you eat and you eat for years. And when you win the contest, the prize is more pie. So you better be <laughs> satisfied with what you have. And that really That's stuck good. with me. <laughs> it stuck with me forever. Like, is this the pie I want to be eating or I'm going to be hungry for something else? Uh, so it definitely wow. is the courage. If someone's in that place you know, now where they're, they're, they're waking up saying, I, I think I've recognized where I can't stay. Mm-hmm. Were there a series of questions you asked yourself or somebody asked you that helped you start to get an idea of where I, I think I, I, my gut's telling me to go? Yeah. I don't know about a series of questions, but I kind of, um, for me was just like looking at all the potential features and kind of like rewriting that autobiography or that memoir from five years in the future and like what it what would it say and so I think you know I was living in um in like Mountain View California in Silicon Valley when I made my first big big career shift and it was an exciting place to be because I could have gone to Netflix I could have gone to LinkedIn I could have gone to any of these big companies I could have shifted into be a product manager you know all these different pieces and so what I started to do was like imagine my eventual career path at those places and what was it leading towards and so I think it was really about like understanding what was important for me whether it was industry um, and it ultimately did turn out to be industry I really wanted to work in fashion is it position or title because sometimes people want to go because they feel like they're underappreciated where they are. And they say Mm -hmm. like, maybe you've been passed over for a promotion, or maybe there's not even a structure where you are promotions, like a whole thing like that. And some people just want to move because they can't be where they are any longer because they feel like their title or their position is holding them back. That wasn't that important to me. Some places you go because of money. Some places you go because of external branding, like Google, like, you know, having Google on your resume is like minting you (laughs) and you have to, it's true. And you have to understand which of those things is the big driver. And then honestly, you're not going to get all of them. So you have to understand what are the two, I think really any job you can really only get two. What are the two things that are most important to you? And for me, what was most important to me in my first like job shift was I wanted to work in retail. I wanted to work in fashion apparel. I've always loved it. And it was a passion area that I never found. Like I didn't know how I would go into it. And, you know, once I entered the, the real world post-education, I was like, oh, this is how you do it. And then I wanted to learn something about the supply chain. Like I was always a passionate supply chain, uh, like consultant and I'm fascinated by the way things move around the world. I love problems that are both physical and intellectual. Mm. And, and there's like, there's no greater thing than sitting in a distribution to me, a distribution center to me and like watching packages go around. I just think it's so interesting. Wow. Uh, I didn't want to do it for my life, but I do think <laughs> it's very interesting. And so I went to Gap with those two things. And then when I was shifting to AB InBev, like I did, I do like beer. I mean, I had to in 2018, I drank 1000 unique beers. So you have to love beer to love that <laughs> job. Um, And I loved beer, but what I was more interested in was the idea of disruptive innovation and the idea that you can take something like CPG or uh, FMCG, like fast moving goods, like beer, and you can use basically like software iterations to figure out how you disrupt and innovate towards the customer versus in the stage gate classic innovation cycle that all the big CPGs use. Um, And so the reason I went to, to that role in that place was because I was like, I want a first a front row seat to how we are thinking about innovation in this world. And I want to understand if this is how I believe innovation can work. And if mm-hmm. this is how I believe the next wave of products and brands are going to be built. Um, and then I want my chance to build those things using this framework. And so the two years I spent at CX Ventures were so valuable to me because yes, I, I built a great business, which is awesome. It's an amazing outcome. But the people I met at that time who came for the same reason, who were like, came for different pieces. I, I have a really good friend who used to run uh, like retail expansion for Shake Shack. And she came because she wanted to understand how like beer retail was going to work. Like so different than my background. Amazing. We're friends to this day. I had the friend that came in who was like a two-time successful software exit entrepreneur before he was like 28 years old. He's kind of a savant. And he came to like build the accelerator because he was like, I believe that building micro accelerators is how you're going to change the future of innovation in the United States. 
so amazing. Um, and so I feel like the, back to your, your question is the questions you should ask yourself are of all those different kind of categories of the things you can do next. What are the one to two things that are the most important to you? Knowing that you're not trapped in a job forever, yes, knowing that on. it's totally fine to do something for two years yep. and then say, okay, I learned the thing I want to learn from this place. I had a great relationship. I built a good network. I love the people I work with. And now I'm going to do something else. Yeah. We are not, this is not the greatest generation. There's no gold watch for working at a company for 20 years any longer. We live in a different world. And I think that's that fear, that bravery, that guts, like you have to be able to step up and do that and be really honest with yourself about what you're trying to get out of the experience and not stay past that learning. Man. Oh, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I know, uh, th- have you, do you know, Elizabeth Gilbert, not like personally not, not personally but yes <laughs> i don't either <laughs> but i heard a i heard an interview with her one time where she was actually talking about her recognizing a mistake in that how she always answered a question when people would ask her like around her passion or whatever mm-hmm. and she had typically answered it out of her own experience which is there's this one thing that you'll you'll discover that you're passionate about and you'll give your whole heart and soul to it and she got a bunch of feedback from friends, from people like, I don't feel that way. And it makes me feel really insecure. Like mm. there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And so she just started thinking more about it and, and whatever. And she said, I feel like my upgraded theory is that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are jackhammers and butterflies. <laughs> and the jackhammers are actually really rare in terms of percentage of population. Mm-hmm. But they make it feel like they're really the majority because jackhammers are really loud. Yeah. So they're the ones that always knew they wanted to be a doctor, always knew yep. they wanted to be a writer. And everybody else is insecure because the jackhammer is doing their one thing and making a lot of noise. And other people are actually created to be like butterflies or they float from one place to another. But there's some sort of beauty to it and where they That's take right. something from that flower and cross pollinate over here and then take something from that flower and go over here. And that made me so free because I was feeling like a change of career, a yep. change of identity in a sense right yeah and that set me free a lot versus the anxiety of like you said is this the boat i'm going to be on forever yeah is this the commitment i've got to make forever right forever is a really long time i mean i think the other thing is if you think about i mean i love history i'm a student of history and all these things but if you think about like traditionally the path towards wealth and like wealthy people were always doctors lawyers like these kind of very very singular paths and so we as a culture think that those are the best jobs. Those are the best ways to be. And knowing that you want to be that from the beginning means that you're going to have this better future. But it's 2021. There's a lot of opportunities to accrue wealth over your life. And there's a lot of different ways to bring self-expression and have a good life and things like that. And I think we're in this new world that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, and breaking through that stigma is very hard. I do think it's generational. I will tell you when I left consulting, I remember my mother being like, oh, are you sure? Like, are yeah. you sure? Like, because it's like a track that you could be on. And isn't that exciting? And I was like, Oh my God, a track makes me feel crazy. Like that's that's like, it makes me feel like maybe that the presence of a track makes me think that maybe isn't where I should go. Um, And so I think it's generational. I think it's cultural. I think we always have to remember that people come from different cultural backgrounds, different family backgrounds, and you're going to bring your own, you know, personal lens and you should, should not try to fit into someone else's, you know, goals or things like that, but being very just free with yourself to have that honest conversation and cutting yourself the slack to say, I might make a mistake and that's okay. It's okay to make a mistake. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting as we're just thinking about this is I, I, I'm 36. So I, I kind of fall right between mm-hmm. the older elder generation. Millennial. Yeah. I'm in the elder millennial category, right? Yeah. It's a good place. So to I feel that. I feel that same voice from, from not just my parents were actually very supportive, but from that generation, yeah. when you make a pivot, very, a lot of fear. I was with my company for 30 years, what's going on. Yep. And, and, and so what I also notice is that people make change or culture makes change in pendulum swings. Mm-hmm. Like we recognize a mistake over here and then we can often without knowing it go too far over here. Right. Yep. And so it's funny is like, you got to convince the people up there to like get off your back and that you can leave a company and get what you needed out of it. But then the other side I see sometimes is people not sticking with something long enough for it to pay off. Totally. Totally. And it's a very delicate balance. It's like, which one is this right now? Am I, am I trying to run before I've gotten what I'm supposed to get here? Mm-hmm. Or am I staying too long because I've already gotten what I need to get here and I need the permission to go, right? hundred percent. And it's so funny because, so 
I'm so passionate about talent management. I'm passionate at territory about talent management, absolutely. But even before that, and the way that we manage this is really to talk about career pathing and talking about not just like what your job is, but what the potential career path looks like at territory. And so when you come to us, it's like, yeah, we're hiring you for social media manager, right? We're bringing you in at, the, at this, this role for this level based on the amount of experience you have. But here are the places that we think it can go. And here's the places where we can take your skill set to really stretch. And having that active conversation with all staff at all levels is so super important. Not to say like, this is how you performed or not, because, and that's important too. You should always have good performance conversations. Like this is where we met the mark versus not, but saying like, what interests you about your role? What might you want to do next? So that you're really fostering that kind of innovation at a company, because that's where the most amazing ideas come from. There's yeah. people who then are bought into the company, the community, the culture, and they're thinking like very creatively about how they can bring one of their passions to the company in a different way. And that's like, that's amazing innovation. And that's why you hire a diverse workforce because you want them to bring their experiences. You want them to bring the differences to the table to say, this is what I think, because then what you build is a better product for more people that has more facets to it that you would never otherwise know. Um, so even though we are a venture back startup and startups have a terrible reputation for the way like people management happens and things like that, our culture is very much about transparency and uh, like active innovation and really giving people a platform to speak their mind so that we can iterate those roles and build long careers. Um, and it's, funny to say like a long career at a startup because like the whole thing sounds like it should be very short but I'm super passionate about that and giving people the opportunity to follow that so that they don't get bored and they're never like hey what am I doing here instead they're saying yeah. I'm really passionate about this new thing I'd love to pursue it and how do we fit that into my role and how do we evolve into this way and giving them the opportunity to do it I love that I love that what just for clarity how big is the workforce now at territory and then the follow-up question to that is what are some of the other things that you have that you have implemented in terms of developing people that you're really excited about and feel like is really paying off? Yeah. So we are, let's see, when it came to territory, we're about 45 people. We sit at about 65 now, which is really exciting. By the end of the year, we should be at about a hundred. That's wow. full-time staff. And then we do have some part-time, um, some part-time employees that do things like drive, drive trucks and things like that. Um, and we have about 25 of those 25 to 30. And um, what I think is really amazing about territory is like, I love the size of the company. I love like a hundred person company because it's, it's transitional for sure. It's not small. Like you can run it like 10 people in a garage anymore, um, but it's not huge where it's, it's lacks personal connection. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like we're hitting our sweet spot from a personnel perspective, because what we're doing is we're bringing enough people in that we have different pockets of groups of people that have shared interests. Um, so at a big company called these like enterprise or like employee resource groups, people who have like shared common interests and things. But I think that's really special because then what you can do is you can have clusters of new parents, clusters of dog owners, dog owners is a big thing for us, but like <laughs> clusters of AIP people, right? Like clusters of people that have their own conversation about the company that is related to what they want to talk about that's separate from the larger forum. And I think that's the benefit of a big, a quote, big company is that you can, you as a person can feel that safety and that comfort with people who are thinking the same things you are in a larger organization where you have a bigger voice um, before you get too big, where those things become like very, you know, like kind of like stale where it's just like, Oh, it's like a once a monthly meeting. And it's like really stale networking with bad appetizers. And then it like loses yeah. all of its meaning. So yeah. I think we're in a really good place there. Um, I'm super proud of the investments that we've made as a company around uh, culture and around culture management and, and just performance management. So for first and foremost, we use the OKR process for goal setting and really try to drive um, collaborative thinking around the goals of the business. Obviously we have financial goals, big growth goals. We're a high growth company. We grew 250% year over year last year, which is amazing. And we will do it again. And I'm sure the team is like listening like, oh my God. Oh man, here it comes. Um, <laughs> but what I love about OKRs is instead of being prescriptive, it means that Mark, our director of operations, has his entire realm to play on gross margin and the way that he wants to make gross margin improvements and the way that he thinks from his deep knowledge of the way our operation works that we can get there. Right. Mm. I don't want to be telling him how to do his job. I want him to believe in what he's doing because that'll mean he'll work harder. It means that he will put more more thought and more care into it. And it will mean that he owns that result. 
Um, and that's the balance. That's the beauty. The beautiful thing about OKRs is like you actually have people across all levels of the organization owning their results. And I have yet to see when you have passionate, self-motivated people, when you give them something to own that they don't, you know, overperform on it. Rarely yeah. when you own something, are you just like, oh, I'll just like let this ride. Um, so we use the OKR process. Um, I, oh, I don't Real think quick. I said yeah. For anybody that, for anybody listening that doesn't know what the OKR process is, can you elaborate for for a minute on what you're referring to? Yes. Sorry. So the OKR process is um, it's kind of a collaborative goal setting like uh, methodology, and it's um, organizational key results. And so basically, you have your organizational goals that are at the macro level, and yeah. then what you do, every division comes up with either like a dimension of the organizational goal that is a little bit more personal to their division, but then they de- they develop key results against them. And the key results of the business are basically the nuts and bolts of what you're going to do to get to that organizational goal. Yep. And the powerful thing about this is it drives a lot of creativity as we talked about. It also drives transparency across everything. And then um, in the key results, you basically have aspirational key results. So things that are, I don't know, I hate the word moonshots, but the things that you're probably not going to be able to solve in the, in the year, but the things that you kind of think you should start to work on like the big, the big dreams. And then you have the more reasonable key results that are, are more tactical. And then you use mm-hmm. KPIs, key performance indicators to basically measure against them. And this works really well for us because it's the right level of kind of inspiration, imagination um, versus just kind of saying like the OGSM way of, of setting goals, which is very much like we need to make, you know, X number of million dollars. And this is like marketing. That means you need to do this. And this is your budget, right? Yeah. It's very much like, let's think outside the box. Let's know that the world is changing around us, which is very true for us. And let's constantly be thinking about the new key results we can drive for the business to get to that organizational goal. Do you set the OKRs for the, for the different departments uh, every quarter? So we set them once a year, but we refresh them because the world changes a lot, but like the yeah. top level organizational goal does not really change because like right. our, our soul and our purpose of our company doesn't change every quarter. Right. We learn new things about ourselves every quarter. And sometimes we adjust KRs. Sometimes we like adjust the KPIs that they're against, quite frankly. Um, and I think that that conversation is part of the management cycle with people and the management cycle of the business, because there's nothing more um, disengaging than having a goal that you know you can't reach and you can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the number one thing. Like, if you're like, well, this goal is like tanked, I'm just gonna go get a Starbucks and sit outside. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have done that in my career. Like, I'm, I have no way of reaching this thing. I'm just gonna disengage. <laughs> like, I own it. That was um, basketball for me. Like, there's no way I'm dunking that ball. I'm <laughs> not growing anytime soon. I'm out of here. No, I think there's like nothing worse for high performance people than setting something impossible in front of them that they know is impossible. I think yeah. the key for high performance people is setting something that's like one or two clicks ahead of where you think they can land yeah. because then they're like, they know it's close and they're like, Oh, I think I can get there. Like that's exciting. And if yeah. you can layer those things together, you can have that macro level, massive growth impact without just saying like, you know, this is our crazy goal. Let's go for it. Um, yeah. and, and different people respond to different types of stimulus is for sure. Stimuli for sure. Some people like the big moonshots. Some people are like, yeah, let's crush it. But in my experience, you know, there's a lot of day parts to the work day. There's the morning part where you're like drinking your coffee, reading your blogs, listening to your podcasts, like feeling like amped up. There's the middle part of the day where you're like in the middle of meetings, feeling like you're getting crushed by your schedule. There's the end of the day when you're exhausted and everyone else, you know, is like, Hey, are we going out for a drink? Not in this environment, obviously nobody goes out for a drink anymore. Right, right, but like right. in the old world, traditionally, you know, like, traditionally yeah. six o'clock rolls around and everyone's like texting like, Hey, can you come out for happy hour? And I'm like, no, I got it. I got like five more hours of work to do today, realistically. And then there's like the quiet time at night. And basically like the quiet time at night for me is when I really lean in. I love like the quiet the quiet hours when everyone is asleep in my household, I'm well-fed, you know, I've got, maybe I've got like one or two people on Slack that I'm chatting with, but other than that, I'm like thinking strategy. I'm like reading information, all that. So the way that you were inspired at those different day parts by goals is completely different. Yeah. And so you have to have the flexibility to create something that can reach you at, at those moments and inspire you through the ups and the downs of the day. Oh, that's really good. All right. I got a question for you. Yeah. In my work with high growth companies, hyper growth companies, and even in this podcast, interviewing them, the way I like to think about it is they're like a rocket ship, right? You've built this really powerful thing built for speed, and it's trying to go for the stars, right? Mm -hmm. The challenge in building a rocket ship is not speed. 
The challenge isn't power. The challenge that NASA has, that SpaceX has, or whatever, is designing systems around the speed and the power that can withstand the speed and the power, right? Yeah, it's I the love friction. That. It's the friction of it going through the atmosphere and all the resistance that causes every bolt to wobble, causes every system to be stressed. That's right. And so it's how does this, the rocket survive and the people inside survive, right? Yeah. And that's often what I see for hyper-growth companies is like, how do the people survive? How do the processes survive the growth of the company and not die in the process of the growth? Does that make yeah. sense? It makes total sense. How do you, it. with all the, all the responsibility, all the, the demand on you, the stress on you, how do you keep from burning out? Well, interesting. So like personal burnout, I think the biggest thing is like, it's the mission and it's, it, that's the personal story, but that's also like the company story and like aligning around the mission is critical. Like our mission at Territory is to empower people through healthy food. It's super simple. If we yeah. always remember that and it's to serve our customers, to build good partnerships in the communities that we serve, right? We have our, our kind of like credo of what it means to be Territory. And I think having that strong mission and vision at the core of everything you do keeps everybody inside that rocket ship safe. Because like, you're right, the growth comes, it's hard. I will tell you over the pandemic, like it's not hard to run a company during the pandemic. It's not hard to run our company or any company. No one at Territory will say it was an easy time, but because we held together tight on this mission, every single morning people came in and were energized and excited about the fight of the day. And I think, you know, especially in like April, 2020, May of 2020, everybody was fighting a lot of fights on a lot of frontiers. We were fighting mental health, like physical health, like interpersonally, like how do you manage X, Y, Z? It was crazy. And then for us, like how do we grow our business in this environment? But yeah. that mission and the empathy for each other and the humility of leadership is that's how you do it. Yeah. Um, for me, for my, my personal ethos, the way I avoid burnout um, is lots of water. <laughs> um, it's, it's a lot of water. No, um, but seriously. No, that's part of it. It is. It's taking care of myself. Although my whole team would just like roll their eyes at that because I, I definitely work a lot of hours and I am a, um, I'm like a burner, meaning like I would rather work like five, 15 hour days than like spread that work over like eight days. Um, and the way I take care of myself is honestly, like it's, it's the mission and it's remembering what we're doing and remembering the purpose. And then it's also like not inappropriately taxing myself with things that are okay to, to ride. So I have this like mental checklist in my mind of all the things I need to do and all the things I need to think about. Those are different things usually, but like mm. I have to do physical things, but then I have to like think about new markets. I have to think about this strategy. Those yeah. two lists are almost separate. And then in my mind, I have this like slotting system of red, amber, green on all of them where it's like green means like, I'm okay to think about it later. I can kind of just like move that thing to the side. Like it's like a triage board in my mind. Yes. And the amber means like, I've been letting it ride for too long. I've got to address this issue. And red means like, Ellis, you should have sent that email like 10 days ago, like time to go. <laughs> Um, and that's how I kind of like get through my days because what I do is I basically like set those small goals every single day of like the things I need to get through. And like maybe today's goal is like, I have to send these three emails and I'm going to take a walk around the block and I'm going to think about this thing. Mm. Um, and setting those very realistic goals and then giving my permission, giving myself permission when I've reached those goals to like shut it off and shut it off can be go to sleep, shut it off can be like turn off my laptop and go hang out with my baby. I have an 18 month old daughter and I have an awesome husband. And sometimes yeah. it's just like literally saying, I got a lot of more work to do, but I did what I needed to do today. That's so it. I'm going to go take a walk with my husband and take my kids to the playground. And like, that's okay. Um, and again, the other side of that is like forgiveness for yourself, right? I think a lot of high performance people are like, when there's a hundred things burning, they can't leave until all of them are extinguished. But the yes. answer is some dumpsters are okay to stay on fire yes. and you just have to let them burn. Otherwise you'll burn. Yes. Um, so I obviously have a lot of energy. I'm sure you can hear it. Of course. And um, it comes, it's naturally, I'm not like overhyped up on, on caffeine. There was yeah. a point in my life where I definitely was overhyped up on caffeine. Uh, and I worked for this amazing, uh, this amazing Brazilian VP at ZX. And he said, Ellis, how do you have so much energy and I was like, because I just know, I just know what we're doing is important. I'm like, I just got to do it. Yes. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise somebody else might do it. Otherwise it might not get done. Like I got to just do this because if I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. And that yeah. literally gets me up every single morning. Yeah. Um, but I think it's about finding that purpose and then just 
forgiving yourself, forgiving yeah. yourself and saying like, it's okay not to like hit all 10 out of 10 every single day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is so cool. So I, I was doing a training the other day on energy management because this is, this is the thing that people are, are, mm -hmm. are telling me. I'm hearing feedback all the time. And this yeah. person, the way they were seeing it basically said, I feel like I'm having to choose between what, what the company needs mm -hmm. and th that they were very passionate about, like sold on the mission. Like this is what the growth needs and my own recovery. And so if I focus on my own recovery, then I'm letting down the company. If I focus on the company, then I'm dying in the process. Right. And yeah. so I, I was like, well, there's a lot of things we need to untangle there. So uh, it doesn't have to be the choice, right? If we do this right. this right, it doesn't have to be that way. And, and so what I love that you said is for you, you recognize the mission is the primary fuel. Yep. It's this, it's this energy that fuels you and, and gets you past your barriers and help, helps you go that extra mile, that extra day, you know, that kind of thing. But even if you have a huge energy tank, right, mm -hmm. we cannot deny the, the law of equations, basically, which is I've got to balance the equation of energy expenditure with energy renewal. That's right. That's it's totally the same right. thing as money. Like, yep. even, if I, even if I have, I mean, athletes have this happen all the time. I have $50 million. That is not, that is not uh, endless. It's a lot. Right. It's not endless. Mm -hmm. And if you're not balancing how much you're spending with how much you're making, eventually you're going to hit a deficit, right? That's exactly right. And so for you, even though you have a lot of energy and you can go and charge for a long time without even really feeling it, if you don't have, if you don't know how and when to shut off, and receive back time with your family, a walk, whatever exactly it right. is, even you. And that's a mistake we make with high performers is assuming they don't need recharge. They yeah. don't need recovery. Right. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like, know thyself, right? Like know, know thyself. And like, for me, it's also like, know thy calendar. So like mm. I went out to raise our round at the end of last year, we just closed the $22 million series B round. And I Congrats. knew it was going to be a hustle. And, and I love it because every, every entrepreneur who has a board, that loves them, like a good board. My board is amazing. They always say these words, which are, I think you could do this in two weeks. And this is like my, my third time rising for territory. And I'm like, that is probably true, but it is not likely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, right? and so for me, I was like, I'm going to raise. So what does that mean? I'm going to have to be super heads down. So what does that mean? So I'm going to my team and I'm saying, I'm going to need to be heads down, which means I'm effectively out of the business during business hours for these you know, six, God, I wish it was like six weeks, but these, these weeks, right? Yes. So it's clear communication with the executive yes. team I have around the table, expectation management, clear prioritization around goals, clear prioritization, clear prioritization. I'm like, Hey, yeah. what do I expect of you? What does success look like? Like these types of things. It's me going to my husband and saying like, I'm going to go out and raise. We like sat down with like an Excel sheet and like built it. Cause he was like, okay, like, how do we do this the right way? How do we manage? We have childcare. How do we manage that? How do we manage key as a career as well? How do we make time for ourselves? Um, and then I know it sounds crazy, but we actually like picked up and went to um, like my mom's summer house for the mm. entire raise because by physically shifting to a place that is so relaxing to me and such a positive memory and like on Cape Cod. So we got to go to the beach at night, almost yes. every night. It was like this moment where during the day I'm working so, so hard pitching literally a hundred VCs. And it takes a huge amount of effort, especially over zoom. Imagine trying to raise during a, a pandemic. Wow. Right? right. And over zoom, you have to be like more emphatic, more expressive. You don't, you can't read the other person as well. Like half the time they're checking email and it's a crazy environment, but by physically picking ourselves up and going to Cape Cod, which is a happy place for us. What I was able to do was at the end of the day, I would close my laptop and I would be just inherently happy because I was in a place that was a stressless environment for me de facto. And so we basically planned it out. We like put the time bounds on it. And I think, um, you know, it, it takes a village for sure. Like you have to have people around you. And I, I feel for the entrepreneur you're talking about where they're like, it's holding back the business. The number one thing I would say is like, you need to put the people around you in the business that you can say, I need you to take a look at this. And mm -hmm. maybe they're not going to be able to do it as well as you can, but you need to have those people that you trust. And you need to be able to give them things and trust them to do, to yes, do the work, but think about the work the same way that you would, and then bring things to you that are, that are the barriers that can't get through. Cause you can't do it all yourself. You will burn out. Um, and you just have to know that's out there. It, it is yeah. a giant debit card of energy. And so you have to be just really proactive and manage it like you manage anything else. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And I loved how you switched environments, right? Yeah, like it's really I've important seen... for me. I've seen writers do that where mm -hmm. 
when it's time to write, some will even go rent a hotel room in their own city. Yep. They're like, I need a different environment. I need whether it's focus or isolation or yep. to be right down the street from my favorite coffee shop so I can walk to it while That's I'm exactly right. And you change that location and you also recognize it's a high stress time that it's it's a season and I need and so I'm committing to it. I yep. might as well put myself in a high recovery environment. That's right. Where there's likely help from the in-laws or your parents, whoever's yep. there, and the environment's very relaxing. Uh, that's next level strategy. Well yeah. done. Thank you. Thanks. The other thing that I think is really important, um, every morning before I start work, no matter how late I've worked last night, like any night, although there's like an asterisk, obviously like every once in a while, um, yeah. I go for a one hour walk every morning. Uh, and, and I am a runner my whole life. I love to run. It's like my, my Zen place. My husband is not a runner by any means. So we've compromised on walking and every morning we just literally walk for like an hour and I'll do it by myself. We'll do it together. We take the baby before we had baby. We just kind of like putz around, but it's like that outdoor time that, um, like solo time or that like solo focus time before you start the day is super important. I think for other people, it's probably sitting down like with a cup of coffee and like reading the news, like reading things that are important to them. Or maybe if you do yoga, it's yoga. Mm -hmm. Like there's that thing that you need to do every day that creates a consistent heartbeat of stability in your life that is dedicated time that's not work. Like you have to dedicate time that's not work because just like you dedicate work, right? You dedicate work hours. Why would you not say I'm going to dedicate non-work hours? And the thing is in this environment with, Slack and phones and the pandemic and everything like that work has exploded and the average like worker is working like two and a half to three more hours every single day than they ever were. The mental toll is massive. Massive. You have to be careful. Um, So even for us, and it's funny, like you had asked a while ago about like the infrastructure that we've built in the company to help it scale and things like that. Um, One of the things I love the most is something called summer Fridays. And summer Fridays is something that Gap used to do that I've taken with me since I worked there. But on Friday afternoon at two o'clock, nobody was in the office. There was no meetings and there was no expectation you were working. And I remember I I tried to take this to ZX Ventures and they were like, what? And they were like, (laughs) why would we ever agree to this? And they were like, we want people to want to work more. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, me too. But if you tell people I accept that after 2 p.m. on Friday, you are going to be gone from this office. They will be so much more engaged Monday through Thursday to get there. And they're going to give even more because what you've indicated as a company is that you care enough about their well-being to say, and like, and three hours of the social contract of work, we are going to give you back for whatever you want to do. Yep. Um, And so we did this last year for territory, which during the pandemic was, I think, not as fun for everybody um, because nobody was like going out and having a drink. They went from one room to the other. They went from one (laughs) to the other. But I will never forget, we had this um, graphic artist on our team that when we announced it, her face lit up and she was so excited. So we, um, as a company, we do twice a week total company standups, which with, you know, 60 odd people on the call, it's like a little bit awkward, but it's fine because all the little boxes every, every Monday and every Thursday, Monday, we talk through like big strategic things that are going on in the company prior week's results. Cause we're a little bit of a weekly business. And then we do a round Robin of what every team is working on so that we stay connected Thursday. We just go through critical decisions that we've made during the week. So everybody feels really connected to the decisions that we have as a business. And then uh, we usually end after like five minutes. Cause like we don't make that many critical decisions every week, but it's nice to get people together with that cadence they know yep. they're going to see everybody's face. We have people who use fun Zoom backgrounds, stuff like that. But anyhow, so I unmute this woman. I'm not going to use her name. I unmute this woman. Um, and her face is like lit up. And I was like, whoa. I was like, you seem really jazzed about this. And she was like, this is why I love this company. And I will never forget it. Because wow. it was this moment that as a leader, you were always trying to build benefits, work culture, everything for the people. And you never know if culture is actually working out because like, Culture is very polar. People either love it or they hate it. The hate moment can come very quickly from like Oof. one thing that happens or like one tiny aspect of their job. And to see that kind of, um, you know, happiness is amazing. And then we lost no productivity because of it because people were so much more engaged Monday through Thursday. And then on, on Friday, people were excited and they were like, this isn't a great example of how territories of companies investing in me as a human. Yeah. And I think that human investment is even more important now. Um, So I think like small things like that help with burnout as well, because it's like knowing that, you know, every, every Friday from um, Memorial Day to Labor Day, you have this like this golden time back and a time when you really want it is amazing. 
Oh, so cool. I love that. Uh, that is a great place for us to, to wrap up this part of the conversation. I want to go into Ooh. the uh, the lightning round. Yes, time has flown by. We've already That's been crazy. talking for an hour, which is so fun. Oh, amazing. Um, okay, so here's five questions for you, Ellis, that we've asked every founder or CEO that's been on this podcast so far, and I'm excited to hear your answers. So question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would it be? To look up and look down. And they've heard this from me many, many times, but it's basically like looking down means like, what are you doing? What's the productivity? Like, how are you doing your job? Like all those things, what do you need to do today? But looking up is looking around you and saying, what are my competitors doing? How is my world changing? How am I changing as a person? And basically saying, I ha you have to balance those two things because if you're just looking down, you're going to miss out. And if you're just looking up, you're probably not getting things done. So it's that balance of like when to look up versus when to look down. Dang, love that. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And how about the worst? Uh, they're the same. How about that? Interesting. Um, okay. Best advice and worst advice I've ever gotten was from a board member. Her name's Karen Nortman. She's amazing. She said, put on a growth mindset. And I didn't, this was when it was the worst. I didn't understand it. I was like, I don't understand what you mean by that. And I was like, I have a growth mindset. I want to grow the business. I want to grow the business. And I wanted so badly to grow the business. But what a growth mindset really means is looking up. It's actually kind of connected to the first thing because it was like the world is changing. The world of food is changing. Direct-to-consumer is changing. What's our role in the world? And then how do we build the business to own that role in the world versus how do the nuts and the bolts of our business work and how do we acquire a customer and what do they buy from us and all the kind of minutia. And so it's mm. that top down versus that bottoms up kind of approach. And as somebody who comes from finance, supply chain, operations, logistics, like we are very, very inclined to go bottoms up, which is why you don't see a lot of people in the, seat, in the CEO seat that come from those backgrounds because you're pragmatic to a fault, I would say. And I say that with love, um, but that's why it was the best advice because when I finally understood it, it helped me build the business so quickly, so much bigger and help me access capital in a completely different way. And when I didn't understand it, I felt totally disabled by it. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I'm sure Kara would what be like, mean? <laughs> I have a growth mindset. I was like, I have a growth mindset. I have built this business like bottoms up like five times. What are you talking about? So I think it's like, it's the best and the worst and the big shift and why it shifted from worst to best for me was honestly my own understanding and just right. maturity in the seat. So though I'm sure Kara was like, what could I have done differently? I have no feedback for her on it, but that's my feedback for your podcast. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, that, that I would say, no, it's not even on her, but this uh, it highlights a funny thing about what is said versus what is heard. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? Oh my God. That's like my entire like experience raising capital always is like what is said versus heard every single thing about every lesson I learned from raising our series B, um, as a woman led company, as a female, as a non-founding CEO, which is like a whole other thing. I had heard it from my board members before as advice. They had told me all the things I need to do. I just, or I just didn't know how to listen. I just didn't know how to take that advice and use it differently. And yeah. so I'm a passionate mentor and I'm always trying to like help people hear it the way that I wish I had heard it. Um, yes. Cause that's, it's so true. The people around you, they want you to be successful. Uh, every investor that invests in your company wants you to be successful. They, because they, yes, they want return on their dollars, but they really invested in you. Yeah. Uh, they're investing in you and your personal success through the lens of this company. And so it's important to listen to them and try to hear them as well. Yeah. So good. Okay. Question number three, what causes you the most stress or worry currently leading your organization? Stress or worry currently leading the organization is the size of the opportunity ahead of us. It's like, I know we have this amazing business and I know we'll achieve our goals. Like I'm not actually, I'm just not worried about the plan or the team or anything like that. Like those things are in the bag because I have an incredible team and we have a really great plan. It's yeah. actually the way the world is changing rapidly around us. And the fact that our role has gotten bigger and bigger in people's lives and our role in the community, the culinary community, the food community, the health and wellness community has gotten even bigger. There's all these new opportunities out there. And my biggest thing that keeps me up at night is not like, can we do it? It's actually, should we do it? And what yeah. is our role in this new space? And there's all this opportunity. I don't want to miss out on it. Um, so that's the biggest thing that worries me is just how much is out there, how much we can reasonably get to, and then should we try to go for those things? Totally makes sense. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Oh man, to change the, to change the world of health and wellness through food. 
honestly, like to change the overall health of people, not just in America, around the world, the way they think of food, the way they change, the way they uh, interact with health and wellness. I would love to reduce the amount of pharmaceuticals we as a country consume and actually help people understand that they can heal their bodies, build a better foundation for themselves through food. And it's a huge goal. I do not want to sell yeah. people food in a box. That is not my goal. Like we, yes, we do that. Yes, there's a lot of people that do that. I don't want to do that. I want to change the way that people actually understand how their health and wellness is related to food and help them take action on it. Uh, and it's yeah. so much bigger than it's so much bigger than the, the sales and how the business works. Um, and it's an audacious goal. But every time I say one billion dollar company to the team, they all look at me and they're like, oh, my God, this feels so massive. And I'm like, but it's us. And, and we really believe in personalized nutrition for everyone and that this is the future of health and wellness and that our company can change the way every American eats, which is amazing. Well, let's talk about that just for a second. I don't normally stop and, and pause yeah. in, in there, but, but I, I do believe in what you guys are doing is, is so mission-driven and so important that I, I don't want whoever's listening to this that might really benefit from changing their mind around their nutrition and knowing exactly what it is that you guys are doing. Yeah. Talk to me about the, the, the idea of personalized nutrition and whatever service or products that you would like people to be at least to know they're aware of if they're starting to wake up to this. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for the opportunity. It's amazing. Sure. So basically, Territory, we talked about like the what it is, but we are a fresh food platform, which means that you are getting access direct to consumer, amazing, amazingly easy to customize your own uh, personalized nutrition. So basically, let's say you, you heard about this crazy thing called the keto diet and you want to give it a try. You can come give it a try with us. You can come give it a try with a lot of competitors as well. The different thing about territory is that we have so much variety and it's all very, very high quality across many, many different eating styles. Now, when the keto diet gets boring for you, we have a different one that you can try. And what uh. we effectively let you do is A-B test with your health using food. Now, the other thing about our product is that it is 100% already cooked, which is amazing because it's 90 wow. seconds in the microwave, which means I'm not asking anyone to cook anything. Quite frankly, I'm not asking anyone to cook anything because I am not cooking anything. Yeah. What I'm saying is we make it crazy easy because the hardest part of healthy eating is not the knowledge necessarily. It's the application. It's how do you actually take overwhelming. something that your doctor tells you or that you read online that you believe, or you just look in the mirror. How do you take that feeling and that information and translate it into the action when you are working, you know, a 14 or 16 hour day? And this is really bad in entrepreneurship, especially sure. people burn out. They're eating granola bars at two o'clock in the morning, right? Yes. We feed a lot of entrepreneurs with clean food, which means uh, free of gluten, sugar, dairy, and inflammatory oils, all delicious, all restaurant quality, like it tastes like from a restaurant, which is what you want to be eating. Everybody wishes that restaurants were healthier yep. and we make it crazy easy. Um, and so this really, what I love about territory is it perfectly, it definitely perfectly fits into my life, but it perfectly fits into your life at the moment where you need support. We do it in a really delicious way, an authentic way, and a completely forgiving way. We're not asking you to self-identify as vegan. We're not telling right. you that you should eat one way. It's a place where you can kind of find your own path to well-being. And you can A-B test and say, you know, I eat vegetarian for 75% of my week. And then I have steak on the weekends because that's how I like to, you know, to treat myself. And that's yes. a place for that. Yes. Oh, I love, I'm glad I know that. It's getting me excited about your company because- Ellis, what I love about what you just said is that idea of A-B testing, because when I started taking my health seriously, I, I noticed there was this cult-like following around every bit of ideology, right? Like you're, mm -hmm. if you're Whole30, you're all Whole30. If you're vegan, you're all vegan. If you're keto, you're all keto. And what started to make more sense to me was, can I just test on my body what really agrees? Now, morally, that may be one thing. Like if, you, if, you, if you're more coming from the like, I disagree with how this is done or whatever – but a lot of people that are just looking for the health benefit more, more uh, in particular, it's like, well, just try something. But it, yes. it gets very costly and you don't know where to go if I want to try this or how do I shop for this and what all is involved. So that's what I love if you're listening about trying out uh, what you guys are offering is that you can go, you can go A-B test right there in one place. That's and also right. have to be really high quality. So that, I, I'm really excited by that. Exactly. And it's food. It's the most intimate thing. You put it in your body 21 times a week. Like it's the most intimate thing. It needs to be something you love and something that you enjoy. And the hardest thing about all the different kind of like food tribes is yes, people get crazy about them, but they're also just hard. 
It's just so yes. hard. And you don't need one more thing that's hard in your life, especially after 2020. You need an easier life. And so I think for me, this is why I love the company because it's like, I want to eat well. I want it to be easy and I want to love what I eat. And we just Come tick on. all those boxes. And sometimes it's keto, sometimes it's paleo, sometimes it's just generally healthy, which a lot we just have on the menu is just generally healthy, but it's yeah. always delicious and it's always satisfying. Um, I think that's the, the biggest thing is it, it's food, it's love. Food is so much, it's cultural, it's important. It's important yeah. that you love what you eat and your life is better than steamed chicken breasts on broccoli. That's my, my <laughs> That's what I was so afraid of when I first started. I'm like, I don't want to just eat steamed chicken. Oh, I, steamed on. chicken breasts, broccoli, and sad salads. Yes. Sometimes the world of healthy eating has a bad sheen on it from the like, you know, 2000s, well, 1990s into 2000s. It's all about calorie restriction, all about snack oils, packs, things like that. Yes. And then 2010s, it got very into like these very almost cultish ways of eating, but they're very hard to do. And I think what we see now in 2021 is freedom around food, wanting to eat well, want to eat for uh, biodensity and phytonutrients and things yes. that are very important like that. Um, and that's where we play. We allow you to kind of play with what you love building a meal, a menu that feels right for you. And we make it crazy easy. Come on. I love it. Okay. Love it. Back to our regular scheduled program. Question number five. This is our yes. fun, creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go mm -hmm. back to the past, and you get to tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back? And what would you tell the younger version of yourself? It's going to be okay. Yeah, come on. I think the biggest thing is like, anytime you make changes in your life or any, any moment that's hard, you know, you're always like, am I going to be okay? Is it going to yeah. be okay? And I think, you know, that concept of okay changes a lot, but I think the biggest thing I would tell myself is like, Hey, it's going to be okay. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Like I have no big lesson for myself. I wouldn't really do anything differently. I think there's many, many different outcomes to my life and my career and all these things that I could be generally happy. You know, lots of different multiverses, so to speak, but they are all fine. They're all good. And I think that, um, especially when you're young, it's important to know that it's going to be okay. Just, you know, keep your head on, follow that gut and it'll take you to really good places. Couldn't have said it better myself. Ellis, this has been awesome. You are a wise, wise woman and a badass skill set to boot. So thank you for coming on here today, making time in your busy schedule and sharing with us. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful and I, I really appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.